Tonight's attribute is the goodness of God. Now that word is often used in our vocabulary. It's unlike the words maybe that we've used in the past, immutability or omnipresence. Uh, the word goodness is familiar to our ears. Unfortunately, that common use often leads our, us to enter into wrong thoughts about God or cause us to miss what we could actually learn from this attribute. One of the uses of the word good in our vocabulary is like if we would say he's a good man. And what we mean by that when we say he's a good man means it's really addressing his moral character. A man that's called a good man, we would expect him to do right, we would expect him to be honest, we'd expect him to be just, we'd expect him to be fair. And without question, God is all of these. His moral character is perfect. But the term goodness that we're talking about here is not addressing that. That's not the word goodness here. The word goodness that we are discussing has to do with his kindness, his benevolence, his desire to do good to others. Now this also is a mental trap. If you're not careful, you'll fall into it. Because in our society, the goodness we experience is not necessarily true goodness. You go to a business luncheon, and you're sitting there across the table from a guy, and this guy is very kind, he's complimentary, he's interested in your business, he's helpful, he even picks up the check when you're all said and done. Amen. <laughs> now why does this guy do all that? Because he wants your business, that's why he did all of that. His goodness is rooted in selfishness. Your teenage daughter comes up. You're sitting in your easy chair. She puts her arm around you. She kisses you on the forehead and says, Dad or Daddy, <laughs> did I ever tell you how much I love you? And the experienced father says, okay, what do you want? <laughs> because goodness is often rooted in self-interest. Often when we see goodness in our world, we are suspicious because it is not unusual for it to be just disguised selfishness. But to think on, in God in those terms is unfair. His desire to do good does not stem from any need that he has. Because remember, one of his other attributes we discussed already, he is self-existent. He doesn't need anything from the outside. He's not after anything. He doesn't, he's not, there's no selfishness in, mixed with his goodness. God is good. And that goodness is not something that he has to try to do. It's not something that he is, has to put on. It is who he is. It is part of the fabric of his being, if you will. Now, I hate to make this comparison, so I need you to be careful with me as we go here, but the closest thing that we can find in our world to God's goodness is a grandma. Now, don't go too extreme here, but it can be helpful to think in this line. You've either experienced this on one side or the other. A grandkid walks into his grandmother's house. She welcomes him genuinely and immediately starts to seek his good. She listens to his stories. 
and is genuinely interested in his welfare. Within 10 minutes, she'll offer him something to eat. If the grandkid says no, she will continue to offer. If he finally agrees to a cookie, he gets a plate of cookies and a glass of milk. Before he eats the first cookie, magically a sandwich has appeared on the table. And then there's a bowl of fruit, a piece of cheese, and a bowl of ice cream. Before he starts to leave, or before he actually leaves the house, he will have eaten a seven-course meal and have a doggy bag in his pocket for later. Now, all of you know what I'm talking about here. Now, what is that grandmother up to? What is she trying to sweet-talk out of her grandkid? And the answer is nothing. The love just flows out with no strings attached. No, does a grandmother have to watch out the window so that she sees her grandkid coming so that she can put on her grandma face? She has to psych herself up. Okay, i got to be kind to this kid. Okay, he's going to be hungry, so I'm going to have to get something out to eat. I guess I'll have to feed him. Does a grandma have to do this? No, in fact, it's actually almost automatic. It flows out of her without effort. She cannot help herself but to be good no look i know how this works i have two electric trains and the cutest little wooden dog pull toy you've ever seen and i don't even have grandkids yet i know how this works it it just flows out of you nobody has to convince you of this generally speaking the goodness that we're talking about from a grandma is only aimed at the grandkids but it does help get us a glimpse of the true nature of God in his goodness. God is good. It is part of his nature. He cannot help but be good. It's, to not be good would be to deny his own nature. God is so good that Matthew 5 tells us that it rains on the just and on the unjust. It means that, what that means is you can't drive through the farm fields and say, that guy loves the Lord and that guy doesn't. All the fields look the same. If we were in charge, you'd be able to tell, buddy. The guys who love the Lord, his field would be lush and green. And right next to him, right across the fence, it'd look like the Sahara Desert. That guy doesn't love the Lord. But God is good. His goodness flows out even to those who despise him. Now, the one danger we face in this is pulling out one attribute. When we talk about the attributes of God, one of our problems is you cannot just look at one attribute. We do it to discuss it, but you cannot just pull out one attribute of God. They are all interconnected. Men say that God's goodness will not allow him to do this, that, or the other thing, but they forget that God is just, that God is holy, and that God is righteous. These attributes do not ever war against each other. Sometimes you hear that. His goodness is fighting it. That is not happening whatsoever with God. He is in perfect harmony within himself. But all of the attributes to get work together. And just like my good friend Jack Jarvis always says, God is a good God and he does good things. The goodness of God. The danger of lessons like this is if we just allow it to sink into strictly teaching. 
But the reality is every attribute of God ought to affect us. It ought to change us moment by moment how we live life. So what difference should the goodness of God make in our lives? I thought of four here. There's a lot more, but let me give you four tonight. Number one, quit being suspicious of God. Quit being suspicious of God. If I use the phrase, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Do you know what I mean by that? I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. What do I mean? It means that whatever happened already is okay. But I'm suspicious that when it's all said and done, it might not be quite as good as what I thought it was going to be. Do you do that with God? Do you question his motives? Do you wonder about what he's going to do next? Do you find yourself hesitating to follow him completely? My friend, give that up. God is a good God, and he doesn't deserve your suspicions. He's a good God, so quit being suspicious of him. Number two, trust him. Go to the other extreme. We have these suspicions oftentimes of God. We doubt him. We'll go to the other extreme and trust him. Instead of being suspicious and doubtful, decide to trust in the goodness of God. Now, certain things happen in my life and they, they change the way that I think. And so I remember those things when I get into the same difficulty that helps my mind run on a track to get me where I need to be. So let me tell you something that helped me a, a long time ago. Quite a few years ago, the kids were pretty small, and this happened. Carol came to me and said that she thought she had, had discovered an abnormal mass. Now, if you know our fam her family history, you know what that means and all that that would entail. The kids were just little. And, of course, immediately my mind is running to the far conclusion of this. The kids are just little. What am I going to do? How is this going to work? You can imagine what my mind was going through in all of this. And all of a sudden I said, whoa, 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 wait, wait a second here. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And so at that moment I said, all right, God, I don't understand this at all. But I trust you. And if whatever is happening, this is a good thing. I don't understand it. This has got to be a good thing because you couldn't do me bad here. And I don't understand this, but I'm going to choose to trust you. So I said to Carol, go get the test. Let's find out what we're dealing with here. Well, you know, they don't hurry at the hospital. They don't care about what's going through your mind. So two weeks later, that we got the result back. It was an infection. She needed some antibiotics, and that was it. Now, here's how it helped me. I don't believe that my standing solidly trusting the Lord's goodness changed the outcome of that test. I don't believe that. Okay? What it did do was it allowed me to rest in God's goodness for two weeks. After I got the results of the test, there was nothing to even worry about. But it allowed me, because I believed that God is a good God and he's doing me good, it allowed me two weeks of rest that I could have really been all churned up with. And had the test results come out of a different in a different way, then the, the test, the, the trust would have allowed me to continue on in the goodness of God. My friends, God is good. 
and he deserves to be trusted. We are afraid to trust him with our future. We're afraid to trust him with our children. We're afraid to trust him with our money. We're afraid to trust him with our health. But he can be safely trusted because he's a good God and he does good things. Choose, deliberately choose to trust him. Third thing in effect it ought to have. We ought to reflect his goodness. We ought to reflect that goodness. We are called to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Now how can we, as being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, be full of deceit, full of guile, full of selfishness? People have to look at us and wonder what's going to happen when the other shoe drops. There should be none of that within us. We should be reflecting the goodness of God. It should flow from us as it does Him. Reflect the goodness of God. And the fourth thing is it always is, it ought to affect us, we ought to worship. We ought to worship Him. Think if God were bad. Several times, Carol, I've had the, the opportunity to go to foreign country and stand in the Mayan ruins. I loved the Mayan ruins in the textbooks when I was a kid, and I've stood on those Mayan ruins several times now. And when you're there at those Mayan ruins, you'll find that there are several places where they are sacrificing people. Why were they doing that? Did they believe in the goodness of their God? No, they believed that he was mean and he was about to put the hurt to them. And so they would sacrifice to keep him from putting the hurt on them. Just think of the power of God. With the power that he has, if he were a bad God, how miserable could he make your life? Now just think if God were neutral. You're born on this planet and God's got all this power, but he's just neutral. He just doesn't care. And you had to plod through this rough existence on this planet all by your loathsome, just touch toughing it out through all the nastiness that this life can throw at you. If God were neutral, that's what you'd do. But my friend, God is good. He's constantly blessing us every moment of the day. And I'm telling you, my friend, that is worthy of worship. God is good. Worship Him.